Amen. Take your Bible and Hebrews chapter 12, if you would. Just some announcements as you're on your way there. Uh, tonight, the service starts at 6, okay? Normal scheduled time. And uh, we tried to change as little as possible on the front end of it. Um, but we want to encourage you to bring some food for the potluck. And uh, this is our church crowd right now. This is the Sunday morning. You can handle it. Sunday school crowd. Um, our last potluck was rough and uh, quite dismal. I think you might know that. And uh, we ended up having to go out and buy pizzas just to feed the people. And and the folks who went through the line last uh, ended up with celery sticks and uh, like a dino chicken nugget, which I was thankful for that dino chicken nugget. Um, but we, we've got to do better. And uh, so I do want to encourage you folks, uh, a bag of chips is not enough to feed your family and to share. And uh, so bring an entree, bring dessert, bring the fixings, and uh, we'll have a great time and we'll eat and fellowship. And like I said, maybe as we're going through the service, we might take another time and break and go get some dessert and uh, come and be a part of that. So 6 p.m. regularly scheduled service time. And uh, I want to tell you we might be out early, but anytime I say that, we're always out later, so I'm not even going to make that, that commitment to you. Um, uh, but I am excited about this evening's service. You'll, you'll, you'll hear about it in the morning service. So come back tonight as well. So 6 p.m., uh, we'll be out. We'll fellowship for about an hour. We'll come back in. So if we're out there at 7, we'll be back in at 8, and we've got some crazy and exciting things planned for you. Uh, this is not the decor for this next year. We took down the trees. Um, this is not replacing the trees. This is for tonight. And so we'll have a bunch of different competitions and games. And uh, for the kids, for the adults, for the ladies and the men, it'll be a good time. And a different, uh, different prizes uh, that'll go out uh, to folks who win different competitions. It'll be a great time, as well as the talent show, which I'm excited to see your talents. And uh, it'll be great. Mom and dad came all the way from San Diego to see Esther Flag Twirl. And uh, so I'm pumped to see that as well. So uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, let's dive in, okay? Uh, well, there's a couple other things. I'm sorry. January 7th is baby dedication. And then Vision Sunday, uh, where we'll announce our theme for the year. You'll get your calendar. We've never done a calendar like this. I've never seen a calendar like this, the actual design of it. And uh, so you got to be here on uh, January the 14th to get that calendar. It'd be cool. So uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number, we'll just start at verse number one. Um, we did unpack verses one through four, um, but I, I, I also at the end of last week's sermon introduced the next portion of text. If you'll remember that, let's just do that real quickly so we know where it's going and how it all fits together. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we, we unpack that that's more than likely talking about those in, in uh, chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run, I'm just going to kind of, our race, let us run uh, with patience the race that is set before us. And so, uh, you know, Jacob ran his race, and Abraham ran his race, and these different men and women ran their race. And so it's our turn to follow in their steps, not keeping our eyes on them, that, that comes in the next verse, but running our race with patience. And then it says, Again, we're not looking to those people who ran their race. We're running with them. But it says, looking unto Jesus, and my, one of my favorite phrases in the whole English Bible, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus ran his race, and he is the one we ultimately should look to uh, for encouragement. Again, um, I've heard it said in churches, you know, you ought not have heroes like LeBron and, you know, these different music people, and I agree with that. But then sometimes I'll say, your heroes ought to be church people. Uh, your heroes ought to be Jesus, okay? There are people you can look up to and say, hey, you know, I'm going to follow their faith. And, uh, you know, they're a good example. I want to raise kids like they raised, and that's all fine. Uh, but make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the one who authored, right? He's the, the trailblazer and the finisher. He's the one who enables that process of your faith. Um, it says in verse number four, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself 
lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so Jesus, he, he ran his race, and yes, it was difficult, and yes, it was hard, and yet he strived all the way through his race that God had given him all the way to the cross. And then in verse number four, there's this comparison and call to us that says, ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And so there's more to give. When you think, hey, I've given everything I can to overcome this sin. I've given everything I can to run the race that God has set before me to be patient. I've done everything I can. I no longer have anything left. No, uh, the Bible says here that, listen, you strive all the way till the end. Even if martyrdom is the end, you keep striving forward for the cause of Christ. Now in verse number five, we're entering a bit of a new uh, portion of text. And again, it all fits together. Uh, And that's one of the things I would encourage you to do, um, not just read your Bible, but understand your Bible. And I'm all for volume. I'm all for ingesting, uh, taking in nutrients through the scripture. But as you're reading, don't be so set and so determined to get to four chapters, 10 chapters that you actually just miss what's being said. And uh, transitions are important when you're reading through text where he's talking about one thing and then all of a sudden it feels like he shifts gears and he's talking about something completely separate. Very, 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 very seldom is that actually the case, that it's it's disjointed. Now, if you're reading in the Proverbs, a lot of thoughts are just thought for thought and it just doesn't, there's not a lot of flow between the chapter. It's, it's just a bunch of really important uh, uh, life advice or wisdom. But when you're reading an epistle, the vast majority of the time, there is a logical sequence. He isn't just completely shifting gears, though they do that. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but inside of a chapter, normally you'll be able to find that there is some, uh, some cohesion and a main thought that's still following, that we're still chasing after. And that certainly is the case here as we jump into verse five. So look at it with me, if you would. It says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So what he's saying is, hey, you're supposed to lay aside the sin and the weight that easily besets you. But hey, if you don't, and this is what we talked about just briefly as we ended last week. If you don't lay aside the sin that easily besets you, you're going to struggle in that race. And in order for God to help you, he's actually going to chasten you. As a father, he's going to come to you and say, hey, uh, you've got this giant race in front of you. And in order to run that race, you got to set that thing down. Uh, you got to give up that area of your life. You've got you've to repent of that sin in your life. If you're ever going to run this race all the way to the end, you've got to do it with less weight. Uh, it'd be the same thing. Think about it in, in less familial terms as a coach. If you had a track and field coach, which I'll admit I never had a track and field coach, um, but if you ever had a track and field coach, they might make you run with weighted vests or ankle weights but in the race, they're going to tell you to take those off. Like, hey, if you're going to run your very best, you got to take those weights off. Sure, you know, in practice, you were running with it, but it's the race of life. You're going to have to take those weights off. You're going to have to lay aside that sin in order to run well. So again, in verse number five, you have forgotten the expectation or uh, exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children and the familial relationship. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So we got to unpack a couple of things that we're going to run into a few times in our text. Let's first define the word chastening. That's important to understand. The word chastening means punishment for the purpose of improving behavior. Okay. Side note, and we'll 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 hit this. Uh, we'll, we'll beat this drum a couple times because he's using a, a parent-child relationship. So this is obviously contextually speaking about our relationship. Uh, with us as children and him as father. But a side note, and an important thing to note, is that moms and dads have this same responsibility on them, that we are to chasten our children so they can run their race um, uh, uh, the best that they can. 
And so again, chastening meaning punishment for the purpose of improving behavior, that you could run well, that you could run better. And so God tells us, hey, lay aside that sin. And if you don't, God is going to chasten or punish you for the purpose of improving your behavior. Now, let me ask you, why would a parent, in, why would a parent chasten their child? What's the benefit of it? What is the purpose of, in the text, God chastening us? Is it because he just, you know, we're ir- he's irritated at us? Or just he gets some, you know, enjoyment uh, out of, uh, uh, of punishing his people? It's certainly not the case. Compare that with the rest of the scripture. The Bible's very clear that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. There's no enjoyment that God gets out of punishing a wicked person. And again, I know that the Calvinist theology teaches that, well, God enjoys when someone, he gets glory out of when someone goes to hell. God has no joy in that whatsoever. He's not willing that any should perish, okay? So reconcile that in your mind. So then why would God chasten us? If he doesn't enjoy it, why does he do it? Look at verse six. For whom the Lord, would you read the next word out loud? Loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That's really, really important. God will chasten those who are running his race with sin in their lives. Why will he chasten them? Because he loves them them. So again, as hard as this is, and this text does a great job of explaining the, the conflict that exists, because nobody enjoys being chastened, right? And the author's going to come to that in a second. But don't hate it when God brings judgment into your life. It's a sign that not only are you his child, but that you are loved. When the Holy Spirit of God, through circumstances or preaching or the reading of the word or a friend who will, will be faithful to wound you, when someone comes and says, hey, brother, uh, what you're doing is not right, or hey, sister, what you're doing is not right, or when the Spirit of God reaches out from the page of Scripture and rips out your heart and there's a giant convicting hole inside of you, that's a gift. That's because he loves you. Listen, on the contrary, you ought to be terrified if you can live your life however you want and the Holy Spirit of God never convicts you. There's never any reproof or conviction because if you're his son, then he loves you. And if he loves you, then he, the Bible will say in the very next verse, he will deal with you, okay? He will deal with you. Well, let me say this too before we even get to it. That's the job of a parent too, to chasten and to deal with it, right? Not to hide our head under the sand like David did with his children, never addressed Absalom, never addressed the circumstances uh, with uh, Amnon, never addresses the, he just hit his face in the sand. He didn't deal with it. Well, notice what God, our, our, our example father does for us. He says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? That's really important. What kind of son doesn't get spanked? What kind of son doesn't get corrected? Uh, I've got four kids in my family. Each of them get corrected, right? Because I love each of them, right? And in, at certain seasons, and every parent of children will recognize this, there are certain seasons certain kids need a little bit of extra, right? They just kind of heap to themselves some judgment or another. And we all thought of one kid in our family. Um, that, that happens, but we chasten them all because we, we love them all. Look at verse number eight. For if ye be without chastisement, this is a scary verse. Wherefore, all are partakers. So everybody's getting chastened, but you're not. Then are you bastards? And I know that's a bit of a harsh word in our, our modern vernacular, but it simply means this. Illegitimate sons, those born out of wedlock or those with no legal claim to their father's name. That's scary. He says, but if ye be without chastisement, wherefore, whereof all are partakers. So all of God's people are being judged for their sin when they're sinning because God wants them to run with patience the race that is set before them. And if that happens to everybody else, but it doesn't happen to you, then you are bastards. You have no legal claim to the name of the father and not sons. 
So let me just ask you, when is the last time the Lord rebuked you for your spirit, for your unkindness, for your gossip, for your lust, for the way you treated your spouse or the way you treated somebody else, for your disobedience? When is the last time the Lord rebuked you for not making an effort for the, pers- for the souls of people? When is the last time? Because if you're his, he will deal with you. And again, parental admonishment here, parents' job is to deal with sin in their children's lives. Don't, don't look at your child when they're, when they're sinning and say, oh, it's just a phase. No, if it's sin, it, 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 then it needs to be dealt with. Deal with the attitude. Deal with what you found on the phone or on the computer. Don't just hide from it. Don't pretend it didn't happen. If they're yours, then deal with it because God deals with his sons because he loves them. And if he doesn't deal with them, it's because they're bastards and not sons. And so those children that God gave you, they're your responsibility to deal with it, to chasten, to punish for the purpose of behavior. Uh, That's an important example. So the author is actually going to use an illustration for the Jewish audience about the parental correction that they have for generations received in their own lives. And uh, that, hey, your fathers did this and you respected them. And God, he has the right to chasten you too. And he does it even better. That's kind of the the synopsis of the next couple of verses. Look at verse uh, nine. It says, furthermore, we, the Jews, have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reference, uh, reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? He says, your dad corrected you, and you minded him, right? We can all, you know, you hear people say that, you know, like, I survived. You know, my parents whooped me, and I suffer from a condition known as respected people. You know, and we're like, yeah, you know, I survived. My, my mom and dad, they gave me the switch, and I, I appreciate it. I'm better for it. And he, he's kind of striking that chord by saying, and, and you appreciate the chastisement of your parents, but, but when God chastens you, you're, you're not okay with it, right? And he's just appealing to our logic right now. Look at verse 10. And, and he says this too, they didn't even do it that well and you still respected them. But notice how God does it. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. And this is so crucial. There's a paradigm shift in our mind that has to happen in our understanding of why God judges or chastens his children. But he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And we've talked about this, right? Parents, they whooped up on us. We're not going to, you know, defame our parents, right? But my mom and dad, more than a time or two, because I embarrass them, they punish me, right? And as much as we try not to, sometimes that happens. Sometimes our kids just frustrate us so much. And, and you say, I would never, you're lying, okay? Um, and I don't even have to have that argument with you. I know you're made of flesh just like I'm made of flesh. And so we, we're not going to pretend with each other today. We've all chastened according to our own good pleasure. But God has never one time chastened you because you irritated him or embarrassed him. He always chastened you because he cares for you, for your benefit. And there's got to be a paradigm shift in our understanding. Um, A lot of times for young people, um, and I don't know if it's just naivety or the lack of life they've experienced. And and I would land somewhere, I don't don't know if I'm young or older now. I'm I'm in my mid-30s, right? I'm still young, but I'm kind of old. But when when you're on the lower end of the spectrum, you oftentimes think when it comes to God, he's just trying to keep me from fun right? You know, you haven't been married. You know, you're like, I want to do that. My parents just don't want me to have a phone. And, you know, God doesn't want me to go, you know, and, and all that that's happening. It's the, same, it's the second verse of the same song in, in the garden, right? Hey, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he knows how good it is. He knows when you eat it, you're going to know just like him. He's trying to keep you from this. No, and we said it last week, God, is trying, God was trying to keep all of the human race from this, from the world you and I live in. 
from the heartache and the ICU and all of the, the perversion and just destruction of this world. He is trying to keep you from something, not that you'll enjoy. Now, you'll enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, so partly true. He's keeping you from something you will enjoy that will destroy you, that will utterly wreck your life. God understood how marriage works. He created it. He understood that a man could only have one woman. He understood that a man could only look and desire and have one woman. And that if that man's desires got out of order and he started to look and see other women, then this was never going to be sufficient because God designed it this way. And this over here, well, oh, but I get to have more, but it destroys you. That's not freedom. Now you're a slave to your own desires and lusts. Now you're Solomon and and three wives aren't enough and five wives aren't enough and hundreds of women aren't enough. Now you gotta have a thousand different women because he knows it destroys you. He chastens you because he doesn't want you to run this race in bondage. He wants you to run with patience and he wants you to inherit holiness. Uh, Notice what that verse again says in verse 10. For verily for a few days uh, chastened, uh, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. God's desire for you and the reason he chastens you is so you could partake in his holiness. That's the reason the conviction comes. So you could make the answer right. And I've used this illustration so many times, I'm using it again. Think about it like this. If we were taking an open book test, right? And uh, this is our spiritual life, right? We're taking an open book test. And uh, man, answer number seven, we put the wrong answer. The Holy Spirit comes along, the author of the book, and he says, hey, answer seven's wrong. You're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. You're like, no, but answer seven's not wrong. That's a good thing. When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us and says, the way you treated that person is not right. No, no, I'm fine with it. Well, you better fix it before you turn it in because it's wrong. No, no, I'm good with it. And if you continue on, yes, that, you, can, you can have your conscience seared and the Holy Spirit, you can quench him and all those different things. But what a gift it is to have the Holy Spirit who comes along and says, hey, uh, no, seven's wrong. That's a gift. You realize lost people don't have that? I'll talk a little bit tonight about abject brokenness, right? Lost people have abject brokenness. There is no, it is not gonna get better, right? You've got familial conflict and lost people in that equation. Their brokenness isn't just gonna like evolve into morality. It just gets worse. Whereas a saved person, at least in our brokenness, the Holy Spirit's redeeming it. He's at least trying to fix us. And that's the huge difference between like, man, being amongst the flock of God and just being in the world. And sometimes you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's broken people in church. You're like, I'm just going to go over here. That's abject brokenness. This is at least brokenness and you're all are broken that he's redeeming. And what a beautiful picture that is. And so this idea is that he is trying to get us to partake in holiness and he's trying to get us these sins and weights away from us. Now, um, look at verse number 11. I love the logic, and I'm so grateful that the author put it in here. He says, now, and he's just going to reason with us. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, right? No one, has ever, no one who has ever been spanked was like, oh, this is great. This is enjoyable. Now, I will say, <laughs> I actually do have this funny story, and I'll tell you the kid. I, 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 I really do try not to use my kids as illustrations because it's uncomfortable for them. They actually told me that this week, um, but he's not here, so I'll use them. Um, Noah, one time, he told me this story, uh, and I'll just tell it to you the way he did. He said, dad, did I ever tell you about this? We were in the car on the way to the church. And he said, there was this one time mom was trying to judge me. That's literally what he said. And uh, she put apple cider vinegar in my mouth because I I was being mean and I liked it. (laughs) So I told my wife, I was like, you can't use apple cider vinegar on Noah. Apparently he enjoys it. So that would be judgment to me. I'm not a fan. Anybody a fan of apple cider vinegar? Oh, good. Okay. Only Noah, apparently. So no, no actual chastening. For the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not enjoyable. But he says, but grievous. 
Yeah, it's painful to be corrected by God. That feeling of godly sorrow inside of you, we'll actually read that verse in a little bit uh, in the next hour. Man, that feeling of godly sorrow is tough. Um, and we're going we're gonna to try to lean into just self-examination in the next hour. And there's going to be some things that you and I look back on. There have been things that I've been talking with the staff about in my own life and uh, my wife in my own life. Like, hey, this is an area of my pastoring i got to get better on. And I hate, I hate that at the present. But afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I know I'm cherry-picking from the verse, but nobody enjoys realizing they're wrong. Nobody enjoys with wrestling and taking ownership of attitudes that aren't, it's not a pleasant process, which is why most people avoid it, right? Uh, it's kind of like the scale, right? Because it's so offensive, right? We, we don't oftentimes want to face the music because we know where the fault lies, but we don't want to accept that because it doesn't feel good in the present. Nevertheless, look at the verse, afterward, after you've accepted and owned it, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now the answer is correct unto them which, be, which are exercised thereby. Yes, conviction may tear a hole in your soul and godly sorrow may bring you to a place that it breaks you, but it leads to a place of repentance where you can now make it right and you can correct the answer and you can now have proper relationships. That's so important. Verse number 12, um, this is a great admonishment. And I think we'll be able to make some, some distance here. I want to try to get to verse 18 before we're done because it all fits so well together. Verse 12, it says, wherefore. So because of what we just learned, Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Here's what he just said. Hey, renew your strength. Conviction's a blessing. When he comes to you and he says you're wrong and he chastens you, renew your strength and make it right. Go ahead and strengthen your your feeble knees and lift up your hands and re-engage in the process. Don't be discouraged by chastisement. I know it's not pleasant in the moment, but afterwards it will yield peaceable fruits of righteousness. Where uh, Verse number 12, uh, no, verse number 13. And so wherefore lift up your hands, which hang down in feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. He said, hey, chastisement, you're running this race with patience. And if you don't lay aside this sin, the father comes because he loves you and you're not bastards. You're sons whom he delights in and he's gonna chasten you. And so, hey, don't be discouraged and don't, don't, don't wander out of the way, but strengthen your knees and lift up your hands and make your paths straight and don't be turned aside, but rather be healed. Make it right. What a gift we have. What a gift in, in a merciful, ever merciful God that when we can come to him and we've messed it up and he's told us as much, he didn't just tell us we broke it so he can, you know, heap judgment on us, but so that we could be healed. That we could make our paths straight and we could strengthen our hands and our knees. And so perhaps, again, this is going to apply to the next hour too. Perhaps this last year, there have been a lot of things we've messed up. Well, good news. Chastisement doesn't feel great, but it will yield peaceable fruits of righteousness. So strengthen your hands and make the paths straight. Don't wander away, be healed. I love where the text takes us. Again, I didn't write this text and I didn't pick it for today. It just happens to land here. Look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Hey, conviction, hey, you're not right. And oftentimes, here's what happens. Symptomatically, when you're not right with God, you're not right with others. Just symptomatically. In my opinion, it's why it follows in this particular text. After, hey, lay aside your sin, and if you don't, God's going to chasten you. Uh, hey, don't be discouraged when you're chasing. God's trying to bring something in your life, and then go ahead and make it right, and then follow after peace with all men. And he's going to talk about peace and holiness, peace with men and peace with God, holiness, uh, having that right relationship. And in other passages, you know how the scripture works, right? As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes. 
right? Sometimes we have family, like, uh, uh, I don't know how it is in your situation. I'll, I'll be careful. I don't want to use my family as always the, the punching bag. But sometimes you get together for a family reunion, and it's just contentious, right? They've got opinions about you, and you're not going to change those opinions, right? Most of those are unfounded, and they're formed without your knowledge. They're just formed from the outside looking in, assuming and assigning all this different motive, and they're over there, and you show up with your family, and man, you love your family, and you love your church family, and then you show up over here, and it's like, oh, why am I even here? Verse 14, follow peace with all men, even the unpeaceable people. Coworkers, right? Monday morning is, so what'd you do today? What'd your preacher talk about? Bet you didn't do anything fun this weekend. Bet you were at church. On New Year's Eve, you spent at church? Yeah, and you're going to remember it the next day. You're not going to have a hangover the next day. Follow. That word follow means this, to hunt for, to pursue after. Follow after, hunt after peace with all men. Laying aside our sin and our weight, allowing the Lord to reprove and chasten us. We're going to hunt for peace with every person we're in in, uh, relationship with. And notice what it says. It says, Follow after peace, or rather, follow peace with all, uh, uh, forgive me, follow peace with all men and holiness. We're not just supposed to follow a right relationship with each other, but a right relationship with God. Peace and holiness are big themes in the verses yet to come, so let's just keep reading. So, uh, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So, follow peace with all men and holiness without, if you don't do that, No man shall see the Lord. So let me give you just a brief synopsis of verse 14. If you're going to live in the presence of God, you're not going to be constantly destroying peace with people and living fleshly lives. I'll say it the other way. If you desire to live in the presence of God, you cannot be destroying peace with men and living a a wicked life. God does not allow that into his presence. And there's plenty of other verses that say very much the same thing, right? Who will ascend into the hill of God? Uh, Clean hands and a pure heart. Those who are following after peace with men and a holiness and a fellowship of Jesus, those are the ones who live in the presence of God. Uh, Again, James puts it this way. A fountain cannot send forth sweet water and bitter water from the same place. In fact, just, uh, what was it, Friday? Friday, we were uh, on a bike ride. The kids uh, got bikes for Christmas, the ones that didn't have them. And we got a park in our neighborhood. So we were riding our bike to the neighbor or to the park over there. And I pointed this tree out to my wife. I'd seen it before, but it never kind of clicked like this. Uh, I looked up and this is a strange tree. I've not seen a tree like this. You probably have. Uh, It's this giant pine tree. It's probably 50 feet tall. The left side of it, which would be the north facing portion of the tree, all dead and brown. And there's a split in the top of the tree. All dead and brown, all, uh, all vivacious and green. And what you have half of it living and half of it dead, nobody looks at that tree and says, yeah, it's half alive. Nobody looks at that tree and says, yeah, it's it's doing 50%. No, everybody looks at that tree and says, that's probably going to lose to that. That tree is not healthy and it therefore is, nobody would look at the tree and say it's healthy because it's half healthy. We would all look at the tree and say, well, it's half wrong, so it's all wrong. And in this particular situation, God says, you're not going to live in my presence if you're not seeking after holiness and you're not seeking after peace with all men. But notice what he says. Look at verse 15. This is so important. It's all tied. Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. It's not talking about losing your salvation. Here's what he just said. This is talking about failing to access the grace that God has given us to live peaceably with all men and to walk in holiness. He says, don't not go to God for grace because you're never going to walk in holiness and you're never going to have peace in your relationships unless you come to me to access grace to do those things. And if you don't come to me to access grace to do those things, notice what it says. 
looking diligently. Hey, live after those things. Have peace with all men. If you don't, you're not going to dwell in the presence of God. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, that grace available to have holiness and to walk in peace. Notice what happens. Lest, so if you do fail to access that grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, you're going to be bitter, but that's not the end result. And thereby, many be defiled. So a man or woman who will not live in the grace available that enables you to have peace with men and to walk in holiness, if you fail to access that grace, you yourself are going to be a very bitter person. That's going to affect you, but it's not just going to stop there. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect the church people around you. You're going to speak poorly about people. You're going to constantly be unhappy with the actions of others. And that poison and bitterness is going to splash up on everybody you come into contact with. Why? Because you failed to access the grace available to live peaceably and to live holy. You failed to access that grace. It's a powerful passage. Uh, And again, I think each of us, as we close out the new year, need to examine, and we'll do some of this tonight as well, our heart toward other people. It's an easy thing to get off. Why? Because that grace is sometimes it feels hard to come by, right? But if you'll access grace, the grace that's available to live peaceably with men and the grace that's available to walk in holiness, then you're not going to have that bitterness. You're going to be able to look at the faults of another and cover them with love. As the Bible says, the love covers a multitude of sin. You're going to be able to offer grace and love hopeth all things and believeth all things and endureth all things. Uh, Love is available through the grace that God gives. And if you fail to access that grace, God says, You yourself will be bitter, and many will be defiled because of you. That's an important truth to remember. And again, I didn't write this passage or pick it for this morning. It's just how God orchestrated it. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. 